Welcome back to the Game Masters Academy. Uh, this is the show where we strive to make you, every one of your sessions great. Uh, thank you for joining me. My name is Greg. Uh, before we jump into it, I've got a couple quick announcements. Uh, same thing I've always been saying, but uh, please uh, like, uh, subscribe, follow, leave a comment, anything that you can to help the uh, algorithms for the different platforms that you might be listening to on. As well as a quick reminder that uh, starting right around Christmas, beginning of the year, I will be launching a Patreon to uh, take a look at some additional uh, features of the World Builder, as well as uh, some unique uh, monsters that I have created that go with those worlds. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, jump into this week's combat corner. This week, we're going to be looking at an abolith. Uh, an abolith is an aberration. Uh, it is uh, lawful evil. It can be found um, uh, within the basic rules. Uh, it is on page 261. Typical environment is the Underdark. Uh, there's actually a lot of lore that's established with these guys. It's basically a giant tentacle monster. Um, but they... A uh, couple things just kind of looking through their stat sheet. Uh, they have eternal memories. So they have flawless memories. And they're able to pass that information on from generation to generation. Um, they originated before the gods existed. And so they were the supreme rulers. And then... When the true gods came, they smashed the Aboleth's empire, and they've never forgotten that. Uh, so, the next thing it says is, Gods in the lake, uh, they dwell in watery environments, deep lakes, the elemental plane of water, and uh, they basically uh, demand worship from obedient subjects, or cults, as well as uh, they basically can gain the information and experiences of their prey, and add it to their own memories by consuming them. Uh, so you're looking at uh, basically something that if you have an Aboleth eat something, it gains all of their memories, all of their experiences, and uh, can obviously act on those things. Uh, they use telepathic powers to rend the minds of the creatures uh, and know their desires. So an Aboleth can use that knowledge to gain loyalty, promise um, for uh, fulfilling such... Uh, basically can provide the idea of, if you do this for me, I'll give you that thing that you said you've always wanted. And then they give it to them, but it's always an illusion. Uh, and then enemies of the gods, they haven't forgotten. They are pretty much still pissed off about being uh, usurped by true gods. And so that's just a little bit about the actual creatures. This is uh, one of those things that's very much like the vampire uh, encounter that I was talking about before. Um, if you just take an Aboleth and you throw them at people, uh, it's not, it's going to be really underwhelming. It, you know, it says it's a challenge rating 10, um, which means that four level 10 uh, characters should feel like this is a challenge for them. And realistically speaking, if we are four level 10 characters and you just throw the Aboleth at them, they're pretty much going to stomp its face in. And that's because an Aboleth is designed much more to be the central focus of a major chapter of your campaign, as opposed to just a random encounter that you come across. Um, and the reason I say that is because 
it's yeah, it's got a 21 strength, but it's only got a 15 constitution. It's got an armor class of 17, 135 hit points, no resistances whatsoever. This is not designed as your get in front of somebody and just tank damage. Um, I think that a lot of times where we struggle as uh, GMs is we kind of have a tendency to, especially if we have run out of things and we're kind of improvising, to run our encounters as though everything that we're utilizing is a giant. We basically put it in front of them and then you go over and you just you know beat them with the sharp side of whatever weapon they have and, until it dies. And there's plenty of creatures that are great for that, but an abolith is not one of them. All right, so let's go through some abilities real quick here. Uh, the first, it's amphibious, can breathe air and water. Don't, please, don't fight an abolith on ground. Yes, it has a 10-foot speed, but that's it's obviously not designed to be on the ground. It basically would move around like an octopus. Um, but it is amphibious. Uh, and then while underwater, it has an ability called mucus cloud, it's basically, it's surrounded by transformative mucus. Uh, anybody that touches it or hits it with a melee attack within five feet must succeed a DC 14 constitution saving throw. On a failure, that creature is diseased for 1d4 hours, and the creature can only breathe underwater, which obviously can pose its own kinds of problems. Uh, we've already talked about this, but we'll do it again. Probing telepathy. Uh, if creature communicates telepathically with the abolith, the abolith learns the creature's greatest desires if the abolith can see the creature. Uh, and so that's how it's able to gain that information and then use it against the uh, party members. Multi-attack makes three tentacle attacks. Uh, the tentacle has an additional effect. It has an, additional, an, an extra disease or an additional disease. Uh, and basically, you get one minute. After that minute, you turn into a creepy, slimy fish person. Uh, skin becomes translucent and slimy, can't regain hit points unless it's underwater, and can only be removed by heal or another disease-curing spell of 6th level or higher. When the creature is outside a body of water, it takes uh, 1d12 acid damage every 10 minutes unless moisture is applied to the skin before the 10 minutes have passed. So basically, you're a beached whale if you're outside of the water. Uh, you got to have someone splash water on your skin. Uh, it has a tail attack. We'll get more to the tail attack in a second. Uh, but again, multi-attack is it makes three tentacle attacks. The tail attack is purely there so that it can be used as a legendary action, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, next is going to be enslave. Uh, that's something that can use uh, three times per day. Uh, and that is uh, one creature that it can see within 30 feet of it has a DC 14 wisdom save or become charmed by the abolith. While charmed... It's under the abolith's control and cannot take reactions. And the abolith and the target can communicate telepathically with each other over any distance. Whenever the charmed target takes damage, the target can repeat the saving throw. On a success, the effect ends. No more than once every 24 hours, the target can also repeat the saving throw when it is at least one mile away from the abolith. So some interesting thoughts on that is going to be if you are charmed and you can't leave the water, and you can only breathe underwater, it's going to be really hard for you to get a mile away to re-throw your saving throw, or to re-roll uh, your saving throw. So, uh, enslave is one of those things that I, th I would think of as more of like prep work for the abolith than truly using it in combat. Uh, but we'll get into strategy uh, a little bit later. Uh, also has legendary actions. 
So legendary actions detect can make a wisdom uh, perception check in case uh, creatures are hidden, things along those lines. Tail swipe makes one tail attack. And so this is where we would use our tail attack. Uh, I would strongly recommend not using our tail attack for our action. So you can attack three times with a tentacle or once with a tail. The tail's really just not better than attacking with the tentacles. And then uh, the last legendary action is Psychic Drain. It costs two of the legendary actions, but one creature charmed by the Aboleth takes 3d6 psychic damage and the Aboleth regains hit points equal to the damage the creature has taken. So those are the legendary actions. Just a quick review, you get three every single turn. You can only use them after somebody else has taken a turn and you regain them when it becomes the uh, Aboleth's turn again. Layer actions are uh, at initiative 20. It loses initiative ties, and they typically have a specific condition when you can do it again. Uh, and so, like, example, uh, a couple of these will say pools of water. Uh, can't use this layer action again until it has used a different one. You have the same thing with the, uh, uh, the third layer action, but let's just go through them in order. Uh, first and foremost, the, the Aboleth cast Phantasmal Force, no components required, on any number of creatures it can see within 60 feet of it, while maintaining concentration on the effect, the Aboleth cannot take any other layer actions. If the target succeeds on the saving throw or the effect ends for it, the target is immune to the Aboleth's Phantasmal Force uh, layer action for the next 24 hours, although such a creature can choose to be affected. So that's the first one. The uh, second one is uh, Pools of Water. Uh, basically, you create little like giant geyser, uh, geysers, uh, surge outward and a gra uh, grasping tide. Any creature on the ground within 20 feet of such a pool must succeed a DC 14 strength save uh, or be pulled up to 20 feet into the water and knocked prone. The Aboleth can't use his, this layer action again until it used a different one. So <clears throat> a couple quick things here to mention. You can be prone in any environment. And that is something that we, that we forget about. Prone is just a condition. Think of it like floundering. When you're on land, it means you fell down. When you're uh, underwater, it means you got twisted around, you're upside down, and you can't see which direction is up. And that means we absolutely could be prone while underwater. It doesn't really change like what's going on. You don't sink. You don't, uh, you know, fall into an abyss or anything along those lines. You gain all of the status debuffs that prone gives, even though you might not be quote unquote laying down. And so, uh, that's one of the weird things that happens with that status condition. Uh, same thing with flying. If you have a creature that has a fly speed and can hover and you knock it prone, uh, it still, uh, gains all of the debuffs that come with that. Uh, even though it's technically flying and it can hover. So just weird bits and pieces there for status conditions. Uh, the third layer action is water in the Aboleth layer magically becomes a conduit for the creature's rage. Can target any number of creatures it can see in such water within 90 feet of it. Must make a DC 14 wisdom saving thrower take 2d6 psychic damage. And then it cannot be used again until it uses a different one. At the bottom here, it talks about some regional effects. A lot of these are just, hey, the water uh, within a mile of this layer are slimy and uh, uh, underground surfaces are difficult terrain and wet, um, things along those lines. Um, 
Let's see, as an action, regional effect still, as an action, the Aboleth can create an illusory image of itself within one mile of the lair. The copy can appear at any location the Aboleth has seen before, or in any location a creature charmed by the Aboleth can currently see. Once created, the image lasts for as long as the Aboleth maintains concentration, as if concentrating on a spell. Although the image is intangible, it looks, sounds, and can move like the Aboleth. The Aboleth can sense, speak, and use telepathy from the image's position as if present at that position. If the image takes any damage, it disappears. So, the the third one is part of the reason I was saying that this is really something that's more nuanced than just throwing it in front of a, a group of uh, adventurers and hoping for the best. What we want to be looking for here is our setup. And uh, it's very important that we do a good job of having a setup so that way this creature can uh, fulfill its full potential. Like anything that was a former ruler of a realm, these guys need a cult. They need a cult of followers that are 100% devoted to them, are willing to have any of the negative status effects applied to them, so that way they're able to basically gain favor of the Aboleth. And so with that cult, we want to provide a couple different things. There's cult fanatics, there's cultists, all sorts of things along those lines. And what this does is we establish the Aboleth as a big bad for the campaign, or a BBEG, as uh, it has been heard or said. And so by establishing them as a big bad, they appear frequently. Maybe this cult isn't even really like explaining that they're a cult of an Aboleth. They're just a band of thieves to start with. And then as you investigate deeper and deeper, you recognize that there's something else going on here that's pulling the strings. And so you've got this uh, cult, you've got a cult following. Uh, and then what we want to make sure that we also do is that we have the enslave ability has been used on uh, again, any creature. So that means that you could stick a shark in there. We could uh, stick anything that has basically a swim speed, and it doesn't even have to have a swim speed uh, because the transformative mucus cloud and creepy tentacle attacks uh, can basically take anything that you stick in there and turn it into an underwater creature. So maybe you really, really wanted to stick some dinosaurs in there. I, whatever you want to do. It just needs to be a creature that is not immune to charm. Uh, my initial thought was that I was going to suggest that we stick an ooze in there because I'm evil, uh, but they're all immune to charm, so that doesn't work. But you get the idea here. We want to take something that's potentially a frequent occurrence within your campaign and potentially have one within the actual pool that the Aboleth lives in. Uh, especially if it's a creature that the party has fought multiple times, maybe your uh, party has already had a death, and the creature that killed one of the party members happens to be in the pool. And so what we're doing is we're, uh, we're basically showing that the Aboleth's power by having a pet creature of something that's already either really messed the party up or created some sort of death, things along those lines. I'm not saying go completely crazy and put three CR9 level creatures within this pool with an Aboleth that's a CR10. That would be insane. But we do want to utilize this ability to instill an idea of power. 
uh, telling somebody, hey, this is a powerful creature, compared to letting them see something that kicked their butt and now the Abolith just has a pet one. It, it provides that additional level of uh, anxiety and also makes people have to really be like, oh my gosh, this is a crazy type of situation. So we have creatures in the pool. We have a cult with cult fanatics, cultists, things along those lines that are causing all sorts of problems for our party. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to sprinkle in these guys doing all sorts of ridiculous things to annoy basically what the party is currently trying to do. In doing so, we have established a background for this Abolith and you know, based on what it said about its lore, its plotting is never ending and it can plot for eons. They are immortal. They do not die. If you kill one in, I think it's like one week, a new body forms that houses its, its brain and consciousness in the elemental plane of water and it just keeps living on. And so because of that, they plan to such degrees that mortal minds would not be able to comprehend. And so this is, again, another one of those things where we go back to the episode I did on creating your big bad. Your plan here for what this Abolith goals are should be completely outlandish. Um, killing the gods, removing land from the planet so that way the entire surface is covered in water so that way it can have full dominion over everything. I mean, we're talking crazy ideas here. And... If we have that, and then we have a cult following it, we have a great setup for a mystery to unlock, uh, for annoying people to consistently be thwarting the party and constantly coming in and uh, being one of those things where they see them and like, oh, great, it's you know Tommy again coming in here trying to mess things up. Why has he got translucent skin and is all slimy? What a creep. And... We've established now that this is more than just a one-off type encounter. Okay, so we've got our encounter to run, but we've got all of our setup done. We've established him as a big bad. He's got a cult. He's got some weird, crazy creature that's living inside of his little tide pool that he lives in. Uh, we've got all sorts of stuff going on. The party slowly decimates the cult, slowly starts taking apart the plans, uncovers information so that way they're able to find the lair for this particular abolith. And as they work their way there, maybe they've done some research and uh, they have discovered some basic information of what's going on. Obviously, a paladin would be a great frontline fighter for, uh, uh, for characters to fight this because both of the... Uh, basically completely transformative types of abilities that it has are diseases. And if you have a level 3 paladin, they are immune to disease. So you have uh, a, a great character to lead the charge, basically. At the same time, it might be advantageous for your party to purposefully take the disease to be able to breathe underwater if they do not currently have that ability. And so that is obviously an option as well. Uh, a couple things about underwater combat. First and foremost, underwater is difficult terrain unless your characters have a swim speed. So that's something to keep in mind. And then unless you have a stabby stab weapon, 
uh, you have disadvantage on attack rolls. And so what I mean by stabby stab is uh, dagger, short sword, rapier, uh, spear, things along those lines are uh, the only types of weapons, oh, and trident, uh, are the only types of weapons that you can effectively fight underwater combat with um, because any type of slashing or like, if I have to swing it, I'm trying to swing it through the water and there's so much drag that I'm going to end up getting disadvantage on the attack rolls. So those are a couple quick thoughts on the actual encounter itself, but the way that I see it playing out, if my party was going to come into an Aboleth lair uh, at initiative 20, I'm going to put Phantasmal Force on every single one of the characters. Obviously those that succeed, great. Those that don't are dealing with the effects of Phantasmal Force while the actual rest of the combat is ensuing. I'm going to use my tentacles to try and turn as many people into fish people as possible. Uh, because that is going to divert the resources of your potential healer, whether it's a druid, cleric, paladin, whatever, um, to try to remove some of those effects before they become permanent. Now, again on that, it requires heal or a sixth level spell or higher. Well, technically, at level 10, you're not going to have any of those, uh, or at least access to them yet. And so, what could potentially happen is you could run into a situation where the party now has a secondary quest on how do we heal Jimmy so that way he is stops being a fish person. Anyways, so I'm going to use my tentacle attacks to do all of that. Uh, as the Abolith starts losing health, I will start using my Psychic Drain ability to ensure that I can regenerate health while damaging the party. And then uh, the Enslave should probably be used before the party gets there uh, at least two of them so that way you've got multiple creatures in the tide pool with the abolith uh, alternatively you could use them on the party but it's got a pretty low uh, save on it and so the uh, the chance that you're going to effectively get that turn uh, useful and, and utilize the actual ability and have it stick is not great Again, I am not trying to kill the party, but I do want them to freak out, especially if this is the big bad that has been terrorizing the group for the last 12 sessions. Then this is something that needs to be more than just a, hey, uh, we got here, you slapped it a couple times, and then it died. And so utilize the abilities to your advantage, gain the upper hand and then make sure that you uh again i'm not trying to kill people but i want to make it so that it seem like there's definitely a chance that somebody dies uh having people think that their characters are going to die and then pulling out at the end to be victorious is significantly better than uh feeling like the whole entire thing was just a trivial fight so that's how i would run that combat um, you utilize the telepathy and understand people's desires, uh, have that phantasmal force be whatever those desires are. And the way that you do that is you, uh, when you use that telepathy to gain that, you just ask the person when it, this thing does this, it learns what the deepest desire is for your part or for your character. What is it seeing? And force the character or the player, I should say, to say what their character's deepest desires are. And then you can play off that. 
So that's it for Combat Corner for the week. I hope that you're able to take an Aboleth and terrorize your party with them in a fun way that doesn't involve you trying to win because that's not the point of the game and that you can interweave this into your campaign and have it be the big bad for a specific chapter within the actual campaign itself. Uh, typically, I would want to start that around level, I don't know, five, maybe six, and then as they level up, they slowly work their way towards becoming strong enough to take the Aboleth out itself. I uh, appreciate each and every single one of you. Thank you so much for uh, joining me for this week's uh, episode. Uh, like I said before, la uh, like, um, subscribe.